This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Chris Shepard. Chris's Southern Smoke Emergency Relief Fund has raised more than a million dollars for restaurant workers around the country who need help in the time of COVID-19. He's looking to raise millions more. All the while, Chris has four popular Houston restaurants to think about and to reimagine, plus a new relationship with local supermarket chain HEB that's helping keep the lights on. Chris says it's going to take creativity to survive. Coming up, he shares his Texas-sized ambitions and his plans. We're back tomorrow with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Chris. Chris, hi. Hi, how are you? Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you as well. You guys have been busy. Uh, we'll get to the, the food side of it in, in a few minutes, but I wanted to talk about your foundation first, the Southern Smoke Foundation, which is a, yeah. uh, an organization you started in 2015. You guys have raised almost $3 million for uh, people in the industry who need relief money. During COVID-19, you guys have helped 654 people, uh, one Point two million, a little bit north of one point two million dollars, um, as of as of today. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? It's incredible. It's it's just incredible work. It's it's so heartening to know that uh, you know someone's really getting the money into the pockets of, of of people who need it. Who are you guys helping? Who are you hearing from right now during this crisis? And how is it different from the you know the people you've been hearing from since two thousand fifteen? I mean, so when we started this organization. <clears throat> it was to raise awareness for MS. Um, one of my good friends was diagnosed with MS and asked if we could do a small party, raise some money, and I had said, no, we're going to throw a big party. And it turned into a, a small festival, if you will, of the back parking lot. Um, we had uh, Rodney Scott and Sean Brock and Aaron Franklin come out and do this with us and um, some chefs from here in Houston. And, and we, you know, when I told the MS Foundation that we we're going to do this and I was going to give them a check for $100,000, they, they pretty much laughed at us. Um, and then it turned into uh, those same people that laughed cried when I handed them a check for 184000 um, And so then year two comes around, we do it again, 284000 for MS Foundation. Year three happens. And we're about a month and a half out and um, Harvey came through our city and pretty much put its toll on, 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 on us as a city and folks were asking me like, how do I put money into the hands of people in the industry? And I was like, there isn't, there just isn't a way. Um, and so we figured out a way with legacy community health uh, next door to put an application process together and start a crisis foundation um, to where anybody in the industry. And I said, I didn't matter if you planted the vegetables, if you worked the drive through, if you stocked milk or wine or, or, owned a restaurant or bus or waiter cook. It didn't matter. Anybody in, in, in our industry um, could apply. And we ended up a uh, little under, um, it, it, probably about 250 applications. I'm just going to say that because um, I always say a little over 200 or a little under 300. So there's not really an exact number, but we wrote um, to 139 families, uh, half a million dollars. And so when the COVID-19 crisis came about, you know, we've, you know, we, we, we've been doing this every week for a long time. We realized that this was 365 days a week, seven, you know, 365 days a year, seven days a week. 
that we needed to have this. And so we've been doing this for, you know, ever since that moment with Harvey. And then when COVID-19 came across, um, it made that 250 applications look real small when all of a sudden in less than two to three weeks, we had 20,000 applications. Um, and we went from a staff of two and a half people to 30. Um, and, and so and partnerships all over. So, um, because it's one of the only foundations that can, that can go through the application process and it's very strict. I mean, you got to have your paperwork really lined up. Um, but you know, it's tax, you know, your tax information, your, um, paycheck stubs, like what is it that the problems are? And then we, then we basically will cut you checks for this. And, um, so yeah, it's every day it's growing and every day, you know, we're helping people out. So it's waiters, it's anybody, anywhere in the country. It's a national organization. So you, your foundation has grown from two and a half employees to 30 over the last several weeks. Yeah. So you're creating, creating jobs too, in a way. Yeah, with, with the partnership with the RWCF, um, they really came on board. And uh, man, their fundraising efforts are amazing. But it was, you know, we went from, we, we basically took cooks and waiters and man, restaurant managers that have been furloughed or fired and or laid off and, and gave them jobs. And, you know, one of the things with the RWCF was like, everybody makes 15 bucks an hour. Everybody makes a livable wage. It was like, done, you got it. And it, and so it's, it's, it's nice, but like the, the things that they have to listen to and the caseworkers casework that they have to do, it's, it's a real thing. It's hard and, and, and mentally exhausting and mentally challenging. So, um, you know, it's also making sure that we have the, the, the mental health professionals that are there for our staff as well. Um, cause it's hard. Can you tell our listeners what our WCF stands for and how that partnership started? <laughs> Restaurant workers, what, community foundation. I always say fun, but it's a Restaurant Workers Community Foundation, which is out of New York. Um, and they have such a massive uh, fundraising effort that they are able to do. And, and, you know, we've been, you know, like the Houston Texans came on for $50,000. Tito's Vodka went with four organizations and split a million dollars. And, uh, Angel's Envy was in for 50000 and then our, our WCF comes in and is like, here's a million. And it's like, oh, okay. And, and, and for them, you know, they, they're one of the most amazing things because they're only giving us 50% of what they're raising, and then the other 50% is split up into two organizations to help get people back into it and other relief found, funds. But, um, and then Food & Wine just partnered with us this week um, to try and get the voice and the word out because, you know, the the – 1.2 million is a, is a, is a really great number. Right. And, and yes, we are doing what we do, but, um, you know, when I started to, I just did rough math and it was like, man, there's 20,000 people. If everybody gets the average of what we've been giving out, we need $38 million to make sure. And that, and that just, that, it terrified me. And it just made me realize that like, we have a very long way to go and that, um, it, it, it's, it's, <laughs> Once the all clear button is rang or whatever, we're not even close to being done. So, how do you get to that figure, thirty-eight million? Uh, on an average, it's like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars per applicant, um, and times twenty thousand. <laughs> like, it's that's their. It, it's roughly like thirty-eight million dollars, and it's just like that's an insane number because, you know, I just broke out like. 
the 1.2 that we've done to the 641 families and divided that and like didn't then multiply that times what we need. And it's like, Oh, we, we got a long way to go, but you know, and that's to say that all applications are fulfilled and, and they're not all. Um, and it's cause it can't be, there has to be a set of standards and a set of regulations that we run by. And, and unfortunately it doesn't affect, it doesn't, it doesn't comply with every single person that applies. So $38 million would cover the current applicant pool plus what you expect to be coming in in the next several months, weeks? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I don't know if we'll have a reset number and maybe we'll get back to like somewhat normalcy and people, you know, it, the one thing that I found, you know, I don't get to see the names. I don't get to see the, the who gets awarded, who gets money. Um, and thankfully for that. But, uh, you know, I get to see some of the scenarios and the money that people are asking for. And it's, it's really heartwarming that you can see an applicant that needs money for rent, medication, food for their kids, um, electricity, phone bill. And they're like, I need $542. It's like, 540. All of this in my mind says, no, 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 you need like two grand, you know, but... Um, people don't ask for what they don't need. And it, it's really beautiful. So their accounting is really specific. Yeah. You're getting like down to the penny. Yeah. And that's what we need, you know, to know that like, what we're doing is legit and right. You had mentioned that there's some um, mental health counseling available to the people who are reading the applications. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? I mean, you got all these folks like they, they you know, they're, they're, they're cooks or they're waiters or what have you. And they've been trained now to, be caseworkers and some, you know, to deal with the hurt <laughs> and really that's what it is. The pain of other folks is, is gotta be unimaginable. Um, so we need to make sure that our, our crew is doing good too. You know, we had a little, one of these zoom meetings the other day and I was like, Hey, I know you guys got a lot of things to do, but I need you to put it all down for a little bit and I need you to go outside. I need you to take a walk and then get back, clear your head. Because like, most of these guys and girls are just sitting in their house, just hammering away, trying to make sure that people in our industry are right. But it's like, at some point you've got to push the brakes. What's the training protocol for something like that? How do you go from being a restaurant manager to being a caseworker? You know, I wish I knew that. That's Catherine Lott, our executive director. She handles all the training and all that. I, I much more of the, uh, voice and founder fundraiser get out and beat the chest. But like that, that's the one thing that we have a clearly defined uh, set of roles. Um, and that like, I don't know most of our staff and that's probably really good. And I don't know, um, like, like I said, I don't know the, the scenarios um, or the people or who gets awarded because I've just, there needs to be a clear separation and it needs to be very much a, um, how do you say that? Church and state. I get it. It's, it's like if you were a surgeon, you're not supposed to operate on your brother. There's never a partial... There's, like, a, bi there's, a, partial. Bi there's a bias, right? If you see the names and you're like, oh, you know, that guy's been washing the dishes at, at Underbelly from the beginning and he just asked for $643. I want to give him $6,400 because yep. I, I feel I get it. And I've never... Like, and that's, we've done that since day one and it's like... The only applications that I know are when people respond back to us and like, or they'll put it out on social media or like, I walk through restaurants and people just come up and give me a hug and crying. And I'm like, well, well, Hey, what's going on? What's this for? And they're like, 
you really, you really helped me out in a time when I needed it. And I was like, Oh, that's fantastic. Like, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've literally had cooks come off of hotlines and come give me hugs before. And it's like, now I kind of understand where it's coming from. But when it first started happening, I didn't, I didn't get it. Like, yeah. It was like, Hey, how are you? Like, why are you crying? <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. And they're like, you got me through this. It's like, no, oh. they're like, you don't know. And I'm like, no, never. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if I ever really want to know those stories. Cause I, I'll be talking to people, you know, I'll have to have somebody on my own mental health staff with me all the time. Where's your mental health baseline these days? How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. You know, um, I, I think that, you know, I've got like Lindsay here with me all the time and, and uh, she's really good to bounce things off of. And, you know, I understand that like what we have to do right now is, is completely different than anything that we've had to do before and to try and, um, you can look at what you've done for your entire life and then you can pretty much throw that out the window. Um, and that's a hard thing to realize um, that you need to change what the way that you've been doing things because there's nothing anywhere in the near future that is going to get back to like, you know, full restaurants and, you know, that, that machine that we all wake up to like in our heads, like we're not going to hear that right now. And so, how do you how do you pivot and move and change to survive and make sure that like I said this when it was the hardest day of my life that when we furloughed you know our entire staff and I said when we get done with this I'm gonna work and my managers are gonna work hard enough that we don't lose anybody that we don't lose anything that everybody comes back and so am I doing things that I've never thought I'd do before absolutely but um, you know, still with integrity and still with the best intentions to get where we need to go when we get back. Like that's that's the key. Is it may look different, and you know, our leader said the restaurants are going to look differently, and people may be running them differently, and people. Are, but yeah, that's probably true. But you know what? I'm going to do it my way. And 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 so, uh, we got to do it together. But in, in the same essence, like you're going to have to do things completely different than you did before. And, and you have to be open to accepting that. This is all relatively new. And I'm not sure if you have any, any clarity about what the answer is, but what, what do you think your way is going to be? Are, are there signs of what you think that's going to include? Well, I sat back and had the conversation last night um, with one of my chefs and I said, you know, I need everybody in our organization all our leaders to think of the most outlandish stuff and let's focus on that. Let's think about, if it sounds crazy, we should probably talk about that because the norm is not norm anymore. I mean, yes, in our our state, we're being told that on Friday we can open up our dining rooms to 25% occupancy, right? That's crazy. I mean, I appreciate it for, and, and when you look at that, like, I do get that because you're talking about the state of Texas, which is huge. So all these little places out in the countryside that really don't have the problems that bigger cities have, um, I mean, 25%, like mom and pop little country cooking places, they probably really need that. And, and restaurants do, all across do need it. But for us, like preserve, for you be preserved, that means we can do like seven people, maybe 10, like in the building at a time, because it's not just the 
25%, it's the six feet, you know, the social distancing, which when you talk about that, that's, that's a huge dining room to be able to sit anybody in. So how do we use preserve in a different way? Like that's a restaurant that's just sitting vacant right now. So it's like, I need everybody to think of ideas that are completely off the radar. I haven't really nailed anything down since we had this conversation last night, but you know, it's like, I know a lot of restaurants are jumping on it and getting open on Friday. And I just, I'm not ready for that. Um, I'm not ready to put our team in that and I'm not ready to put our guests in front of that. So um, there, this is kind of, to me, I think they call it more of a, we'll see how it works out. <laughs> like, and if we don't have any flare ups and if we kind of stay where the norm and, you know, Houston's in a real good place as far as this goes for the most part, um, we'll, uh, we'll look at it again on the 18th and then we may go to 50% restaurants and I, and I can get behind that, but it has to look a little bit differently. Like, are you going to do all the cart seating anymore? Menus. How does it look? How does your tablescape look? How does, how does wine service look? How does handing anything to anybody look? Right? Waiters and masks and gloves and constantly changing it, giving your table sanitizing solution. Like it's, it's, it's all a new thing, right? Hey, you want to look at the wine list? Pull it up on your phone. Like that's how it's going to have to be. You want a cocktail? Well, here's what we have. But if you want a specialty drink or if you want something else, please look on your phone onto the beverage list on our website. Like, how are guests going to react to that? And that's going to be the thing is like, it's not just restaurants doing something completely different. It's our guests. Cause like when they said that we could open up to 25% moments after that, our phone lines lit up. Like I got to put 250 people in one of our restaurants in Georgia James. But that's crazy. People are ready to get out. I get it. And like, but we have to be ready to handle that. It's interesting. One of the amazing parts of restaurants for me has always been paying attention to all the mindful decisions that are made and all the, the details that are, are brought to life. And now all That's those decisions... That's not opening the door and cooking food. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's just like, where does the salt and pepper shaker go? Is there a tablecloth? Is the table made of wood? Where does the light go above the table? Is the menu you know, printed every day or every other day? Everything's a, de- everything's a decision. And now all those decisions that result in all those details do have to change. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, even so one-fifth, you know, like, we have 18 months left on that lease where, you know, it's a restaurant that we change every year. Right. And right before this, you know, we did one, when we opened it five years ago or four, three and a half years, I don't even know how long ago, three years we did one fifth steak and then we did one fifth romance and then Mediterranean and then uh, Gulf Coast. And then I was like, you know what? We're throwing it all out the window. And we're going to do one fifth lightning round. And people are like, what is that? And I was like, we're just going to change it whenever the hell we want. We have 18 months and I don't want to look back on it and say, why didn't I do this? This could have been a concept, but we never did it in this restaurant. But like, that doesn't work now. So now we have to figure out what does that become? And even if we go to our dining room that seats 50% or 20, you know, it, it's still only, I don't know, but that restaurant is set up for a perfect drive through. So now I have to think about what is the perfect drive through food, right? What is the thing that can take to your house? Cause like the steakhouse doesn't, you can't, I'm not going to cook somebody a, a 75 or $60 ribeye and expect them to enjoy it medium rare at their house with perfectly hot. And like, like that doesn't exist, you know, third party carrier systems. And I don't trust it yet. Really. I'll use them, but I don't want to use them for our food. Um, 
so how does all of that work? It's, it's really kind of a rambling mess. And tomorrow it'll be completely different, unfortunately, in my head. It's interesting, though. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like now is a time for extreme creativity. That's the only way you're going to survive. The people that sit back and like, well, I just needed to get back to where it was before. That's not going to work for you anymore. man. It's just not going to. You have to think outside of like all of everything you've ever thought of before. Um, your your tagline for Underbelly and, and UB Preserve has always been, uh, you know, telling the story of Houston. I'm really interested in Houston as a city. It's an incredibly complicated place. It's it's really diverse. The the, the weather is is a is a character. There's um, big industry and big immigration. What what is the story of Houston right now? What is what's the story that you've been seeing unfold over the last you know couple months? I mean. It's really hard to say that because what I've seen is my restaurants inside for four days and then outside of that, my house for four days, you know, riding our tricycle, we bought adult tricycles, you know, to get out and it's hilarious. But um, it's one of those things like you try to support as much as you can and what there's not a lot of things open and, you know, and you, you start talking about the Bel Air neighborhood where it's mainly Vietnamese and, and Chinese and, that's really been affected much longer than the, the other restaurants, right? Because when the COVID-19 started, it affected that population months before. Like you could go down to Chinatown and the restaurants were crickets and they're already like, I did the thing for one of the news things here. It's like, we got to save Chinatown. And then I was like, Hey, this is going to affect all of us here pretty soon. So we need to start looking at that. And then I'm like, Three weeks later, or two weeks later, boom, we're, all our restaurants are shut down. Um, so I, I'm hoping and, and pray, I pray that, that like all of those restaurants come back because it's what makes Houston so amazing is the small mom and pop places. But I want them to survive just as much as I want everybody else to. Right. So your world's kind of become micro. It's this world of your restaurants and your foundations. And in a way, you're, you're very engaged with your own business. But... Um, because of the nature of everything, you're dis yeah, you're disengaged from the city, and it sucks. Yeah, um, it's cause, heartbreaking. Because as much as on my days off, I want to go in and like, you know, Lindsay asked me, she's like, "What do you want to do for lunch? You want to just make something here?" And it's like, man, I really, man, I was looking at High King, and you know, they got these, you know, wok fried lobsters that I'd really love to have, but they're not open. They're just saying, "Hey, we're coming back at some point," you know, and like, I want to. That's what I want. Right, and I can't have it. And so um, we'll get back to the point where restaurants feel comfortable and our guests feel comfortable, but it's going to look different for sure. Yeah, I, I feel so, you know, dislocated in, in a way. I'm in, in New York and, you know, I understand the, the city through restaurants. I understand my mood through restaurants. And it's, it's just very isolating to not have that as an outlet. I never even realized it was an outlet. <laughs> it's, it's our way of life. Yeah, and the, and, and, and the thing that like, I guess what we have to look at, and, and it was really I guess over a tequila last night that I made this decision that like, how do we as an industry not become that fragile egg, right? Because I think we really this exposed us as an industry. Um, you know, you can have your financial downturns, you can have all those things, and they do affect us, but we fight back and we make it. This made us look at it and say. As an industry, we are a, a, a cracked eggshell that once we hit something a little bit harder, it shatters. 
Yeah. Um, so how how do we not do that? How do we build that eggshell up, become better and stronger for the future? Or maybe how do you not become an eggshell? How do you become like a steel and concrete building? You're going to punch me, I'm going to punch you back. That should be the way, you know? Yeah. And, and we should be able to handle that. But um, I think this exposed us as an industry. You were mentioning that you want that that lobster. You know what I want? I want the uh, the page 38 chicken. <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> I do. I want I want it very badly. I, was I made scared. it at home the other day. It was so good. So, will, you, will you just tell me about it? I just want to talk about it for a minute. I just want to talk about something nice. Man, it's the easiest thing. It really is. And and it, and it's you can use this marinade for chicken or fish or pork or beef or tofu or carrots. I don't give a sh- I don't care. Um, you can swear. It, you can swear on my show. Feel feel free. Yeah. Let it rip. You know, it's just <clears throat> it's basically you take a blender and you put cilantro and jalapeno and some garlic and some honey and 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 and, and fish sauce and some chilies in it. And then you puree it and then you put it in a bag with said whatever and then you cook whatever. Right? For us, it's like the chicken. You marinate that chicken and it and it because of the salt and the sugar, it does its own little brine, right? And it just makes the most delicious chicken ever. And like people love to eat chicken, but most people don't understand fish sauce. So this is getting you to start to understand like what fish sauce does. And how the subtleness of it, because if you open a bottle of fish sauce and just take it to the dome, that's not good. Unless you really like that flavor. But if you can start to understand how its subtleties can really cohere flavors and bring everything out, and then, you know, it just, it's, God, it's so good. I made uh, fish sauce hamburgers the other night. Nice move. Yeah, I felt really good about that. God, that sounds good. We need to figure that one out. It was, re- it was really good. The uh, page 38 chicken's dusted with something green. Well, that's just a marinade. Okay. That's the, the herbs great, and stuff like that. You, yeah, you got that green onion and you got mm-hmm. that cilantro in there, and it just turns that chicken bright green, and then you just put it in char it a little bit. Like, And this is like, I watch people do this on a grill, and I, I know in New York you probably don't have a whole lot of grills, so just, I don't know if you do or not, actually. I don't, I think if you have a patio, you're using it as much as possible. I currently have access to a grill. So, yeah, get one side hot, put it on the other side, and just let it go. Okay. Just have it an indirect thing. It's perfect. That's going to be dinner tonight. Um, where are you? Wh- just Ooh, as good. I have some wings. I have some thighs, too. Might be nice for thighs. You've, better. You've yeah. got the two best parts of a chicken. Um, where are you selling the, the Page 38 chicken right now? Uh, we did it at uh, Georgia James the other day. Um, so we'll... we'll Actually, we're going to, that, oddly enough, is in testing phase to go into HEB. Yeah. I think that the, you know, the page 38 chicken could be a whole concept. <laughs> it's so you good. know, page 38 could be a, a, a one day, uh, a one day thing at one, one fifth or whatever. Let's talk about HEB for a minute. I mean, HEB, it's, it's a market, stands for Howard E. e. Butts, and it's um, an icon in, in Texas. People who, who live in Texas, uh, you know, go to the HEB and it's the same as going to church in, in a lot of ways. You're, you're selling a lot of food right there. I'm, I'm watching and, and kind of salivating. Talk to me about that relationship and, and what it means to be part of that community. Well, it was, it was one of these things that immediately when, when, we, when this kind of came about, like, so we shut uh, Haymerch, and I'm sorry, uh, well, we did. 
Hay Merchant and Georgia James, two of the restaurants that we have are combined, right? It's on a 10,000 square foot property and it's split in half, right? One's a restaurant and bar and one is the steakhouse. And then down the street, we've got hey, uh, UB Preserve and One Fifth. So we shuttered uh, Preserve and moved it over into One Fifth and they were doing hot food out of that one. And then we were doing hot food out of Georgia James. And, and it, it, at some point I looked at it as like, we need to follow the model that HEB is doing with these, they call them meal simple plans. And it's just like the metal container with the plastic lid and it's all everything in there, the protein that starts to veg and you put it in the oven for like 350 for 15 minutes and then it's done, right? And having gone to the grocery store, that's one of my favorite things to do is go to the grocery store. But watching people just always grabbing things from there and being like, I don't get it, like, but I get it. And so, we designed kind of like a, a marketplace at Georgia James through the website to where we could do all of our cut steaks. We could do sides. We could do, and then we put in these, uh, we call them take and bakes. And that's in essence what they are. Um, and so we got, we tested a lot of things real quickly to see what would work. And then all of a sudden HEB called, reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you like to put these in the store? And I was like, well, how does that even work? And we got on a phone call and it was like, here's what we're going to do. We want to be a part of our community because HEB had a pretty good market share as far as grocery stores in Texas. Like there's the other ones. Um, and then they reacted so fast after Harvey that it became, I mean, those who didn't shop at HEB shopped at HEB afterwards, right? Because everything that they did for the community was such amazing. And they've been planning something like this. They've been working on taking care of something like this since, uh, 2006 there was a big article that came out and basically they started after SARS they were like we need to be ready for this and they were ready for this in a way that nobody else has been um, and so they came to myself one to three other restaurants I think two or three other restaurants right off the bat and they said here's what we're gonna do you can put these in the stores you need to figure out how to get them there but you can put this in your in, in our meal simple category and whatever you sell it for, we will give you that money 100%. We need you to be here when, when this is over. And so we need to make sure that you are paying your bills, that you are paying your staff, that you are getting through this. And it was like, wait a minute. So I'm going to charge 12 bucks for it in the store and you're going to give me $12 for it? You're not going to make a penny on it? And they're like, yep. That's exactly how this is going to work. And how many stores can I do? Right. And, and I'll figure it out. And so I know a lot of people that are doing this right now are like coolers in their cars and taking it. And, like, and I was like, no, I need to have a delivery system that works better. So we figured out a delivery system, routes, everything. And we went from, I started with 10 stores right off the bat. Um, and which was insane because most people were doing two and three and working into four and now they're in six. And like when they went to six, I went to 16. And so as of yesterday, we're in 16 HEBs around the city. And in, in the outlying area, there's 55 HEBs in our area. So, I mean, you, you have to, we have five different dishes in there now. What are they? Uh, so we took the old underbelly goat and dumplings um, but we can't get goats processed right now, like the way that we need them. Um, and what we did is we thought about how do we make it good for people in our 
system locally that they can that they can benefit from this too. Um, so we started working with 44 Farms. We've always been working with 44 Farms, our Angus producer, and just changed it to beef and dumplings. And so I'm like, what are you sitting long on? They're like, we got boneless short rib plates, chuck rib plates. I was like, I'll take them all. And he's like, there's 5,000 pounds. I was like, we'll just take 500 then. And then, but it's like, we're doing 500 to 600 pounds of that a week um, for this dish. And then like the dumplings, that's the, you know, it's dokboki. Um, and so the folks that have been making our rice sticks for us over the years, even at Underbelly, we go through 100 pounds a week. And they would sell to all the local grocery, like the H-Marts. And they probably sold, I talked to them, another two to 300 pounds a week. So they're only making 400 pounds a week of this, right? As of when we started this program, we had them making 300 pounds every other day. And he's like, we can do fucking, we can do a thousand, let's go. And like, it, it increased his business now to like more than he was before. And so like the impact that HEB has had on this is insane. Um, and so we do the braised beef and, and Korean style braised beef and dumplings, um, which has kind of been the thing that we've been doing forever. Um, we do a King Ranch chicken, which I've never before made King Ranch chicken. And um, it's basically just a chicken and tortilla and cheese and saucy casserole. And man, they love it. They love it. And I was like, man, we're going to do this for like two days and they get rid of it. And it's like, we can't get rid of it. And, it, and man, it's, it kills me. I'm just, every day I'm like, fuck King Ranch. I hate this shit. But like, it's people like, no, 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 it's so good. And it's like, all right, all right, I get it. Um, then we, I had a Wagyu producer that had a lot of grind, um, had a lot of ground beef and he had 5,000 something pounds of it, you know, in deep freezer. And I was like, let's just start going through it. And so we do like a Wagyu helper, um, which people love. And, and then, uh, we put our smoked chicken wings in, uh, with classic sauce because I love chicken wings. And, um, last year, We've been working on this thing at the restaurant for a long time where we take pork shoulders and, and bellies, cure it like bacon and grind it and then stuff it and then smoke it. And so you have all of the flavor of bacon, but in sausage form without the mess. And so um, this was something we started last year. I started working with a small uh, meat market outside of town that um, can distribute for us. And well, they distribute it to Cisco and Cisco sells it. And so it's Chris Shepard's original bacon sausage. And so we do two leagues of bacon sausage with braised cabbage and roasted potatoes. Does well. I like to hear about all this innovation. And it's also, I think, cool to, you know, team up with an organization that has such strong disaster management principles. Cause I think that's something we're all gonna take out of this. I think we're all gonna have to have those those kinds of plans. Um, Chris, our show's called Takeaway Only. I'm wondering what your big takeaway has been um, from cooking, from leading, and from raising money through this time. My takeaway from all of this right now is that we need to figure out how to change our industry and how to make it stronger and better. And how do we take Southern Smoke? And, you know, I had a friend tell me the other day, he said, you know what, Southern Smoke, the man, like you should write a manifest. You should write a way to do this. You should write a book on this. And it should be taught in every state and how to take care of your industry so that there is a safety net for people. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we just had this system in place before and it worked. 
you know, and it does work. Um, and so how does this get taken into every area to maybe not make this so bad that when folks in our industry in a time of need, not just now, but anytime, have a place to go? Um, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see people take away that, um, take away that thought process and philosophy. And then um, as far as food goes, be creative. Think outside of the normal box that you live in because it's the only way that you're going to survive. Because um, the way, maybe it goes back. Maybe it does. And you know what if it does? Sweet. But um, how do you make it better? And then, you know, there's the, we're at ground zero right now. We can change anything we want. So my chefs are talking to me about how do we change the, 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 the payment structure, the tipping system. Like, that's another thing. Like, there's so many things to think about. We have nothing right now. We can change it all. Rebuild, rebuild, rebuild. Chris, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having us. And let's make our world a better place just by taking care of each other. Absolutely. Thanks again. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. That was Chris Shepard. You can follow him on Instagram at cshepard13. And you can learn more about the Southern Smoke Foundation and its emergency relief fund at www.southernsmoke.org. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at B-Poles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community-building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back tomorrow. This is Takeaway Only.